0: You're listening to Two Guys Talking Wine with Michael Pincus and Andre Pru. Hey, Andre. I've never seen anyone resistant to jet lag the way that you are. Resumming. I don't know how you can spend the entire year gallivanting around Italy and now Portugal and then you show up at the LCBO Tasting Lab the next day bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. When we did Two Guys Talking Live, which will be heard on this podcast at a later date, you were there with bells on. And that was the day after you got back from Portugal.
1: Yeah. Yeah, really off my life.
0: Holy shit, and you've got like an entire
1: notepad in, in front of you here. I just got back. So I have I have notes, whether they'll actually see my website, com, is another story. But yes, these are the notes that I, I took, and you said this this one was more about my trip than yours. I was going to quiz you like a jerk about your trip that was so long ago. What, oh, you mean like
0: the Franciacorta Podcast that we did where it was just like, Oh, why don't you tell me the total acidity in the grapes that were harvested there? And it's just like, No, I just went there and I tasted the wine. So I'm sorry if there were any incorrect facts in that, but you should still try the Francia Corta that's at the LCBO right
1: now. I'm not saying not to try Francia Corta. I like Francia Corta from what I tried. I wish I had tried as much as you did. What I really liked, by the way, was the great stuff that I, and I know we're going to talk Portugal. But uh, when I was in, in Prosecco, man, they really are making some great, great shit in, in Prosecco. Like, really great. You know, not Prosecco. not
0: not to, like, go back to a podcast that we've already done, but it was really funny because the people in Franciacorta are especially proud of their wines because, let's face it, it's a little bit more time-consuming to make a bottle of Franciacorta than it is to make Prosecco. But it's sort of like they talk out of both sides of their mouths in the most polite way possible. It's just like... Yes, we're really proud of these wines, but like, you know, prosecco okay too.
1: Well, yeah, I, I, the, but obviously it's it's different because Franciacorta does the the traditional method where um, prosecco, you know, they show you their, their autoclaves, you know, where they're we're making those those wines, and you know, I, I think when I was there, the longest one that sits on its lees is like nine months. And those were spectacular wines. Like, really, if you take them <laughs> at, this is at what Jim face Richards, value... This
0: is what Jim Richard would refer to as a full-blown tangerine. Oh, we're full-blown on that. The yeah. purpose of this podcast is we're going to talk about your trip to Portugal.
1: Oh, that's right. Okay. All right, so, yes, I just came back, and I've never been to uh, Lisboa, or Lisbon. And, uh, you know Did what... Did you see the smoking rooms in the airport? Well, I've seen smoking rooms there in every airport. Germany...
0: Portugal, they're hilarious. It still just blows my mind. You go into the airport and you have this little, like it's in, in, in uh, Lisbon, it's literally a fishbowl though.
1: Yeah, it's like hot box in your car.
0: With like high pressure air so that it, it keeps the air in even if you open the door to the little smoking room. And there's yeah. people just smoking literally in a room full of smoke. Like yeah. it looks like it literally looks like a PSA to not smoke. Yeah. But people are in there smoking. It's weird. It is weird.
1: Oh, um,. I'm Michael Pincus from michaelpincuswinerview.com. He have we said not that. Have that?
0: No, you said that. And you are? Andre Pru from underwinerview.ca. So you haven't said that. That's okay. I'm
1: not important on this podcast. You're always important, Andre. We have been drinking a little. <laughs> yes. Yes, we have. We uh, we are in the middle of a cloud line uh, Pinot Noir. Yes. This is... From Oregon. You know what? If, if you want to get
0: a, a glimpse of what Oregon Pinot tastes like, it's a good place to start. It's twenty eight dollars and ninety five cents. It'll be available in, in vintages. It's from uh, Domaine Gouet, and I mean, it's not the best Oregon Pinot Noir on the market. But the problem with Pinot Noir from Oregon is it gets very expensive very quickly. Yeah, very quickly. And it, it is worth the money, but it's not something that you can really treat yourself with uh, on a weekly basis. So, I, I, it's sort of like a once every couple months sort of thing to pick mm. one up for forty five bucks. But it's- but it's very very tasty. It is, and it's light. It's lighter than most Oregon Pinots.
1: Yeah, I think you made mention that it tasted more like um, like a gamay Beaujolais. Type yeah, it's thing. got a very gamay quality to it. So light, easy drinking. I really enjoyed it. So thanks for sharing that tonight. So what were you doing in Portugal, Michael? I was uh, I was there for um, for checking out Lisbon. I'd never been to Lisbon before, and Lisbon is quite quite a big quite a big city. Let's be honest. Although uh, somebody said it's only a million people, I would have thought it would be bigger. That's what she said. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna let that go. Um, but I would, but I would have thought Lisbon would be a bigger, a bigger town, like ha- house more people. But I think they said it's a, it's a million. Okay. Um, and then we, we did. Uh, it was like the whirlwind tour of, uh, of the Lisbon area, Lisboa, Mm-hmm. and just kind of like your. Your trip, I think that's why we talked about about Italy, because you were there three or four days, and then yes. you were home.
0: Yeah, it was so quick.
1: And this was very much similar to that, where we were, you know, we landed on uh, the Monday and, you know, uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then out Friday. No, other way around. Monday, Wednesday. Well, whatever. It's four days, then you're out. Okay. And so we did four, three, three, and two. Okay. Okay. As far as wineries go, and uh, there's some great, there's some really great stuff. Um, let me tell you something. As you said, I have some. Well, right yeah, notes I, I here. mean, I
0: mean, we'll, we'll get into the notes in a second, but we had a discussion off the microphones. So I just need to ask you the question on there: What was better, the red or the white wines?
1: Well, from where I am, it's the red.
0: Oh, because if we want to do a, a compare and contrast, I was in Vinho earlier in That's... the in the spring, and the red wines were difficult.
1: They are. Vinho is a very tough grape to yes, wrap is. your head around or your tongue around or anything yes. like that. But, on the other hand, you do learn a lot about some vino verde that we do not get here in Ontario. And you're like, why don't we get that here? Because that is spectacular white that I could sit all day on.
0: Well, and I mean, the thing about Portugal for me, and, and we'll get into the next question on the, uh, about that before we get into some specifics, is the wines are so dirt cheap there. That if we can convince the market to open up to them, it'll be a great way to get some very premium wines at a very fair price. Because in Vino Verde, you were paying four, five, six euros for some of the, the the top level wines. So I mean, you factor that in nine bucks Canadian, just double the price becomes eighteen dollars Canadian. So you'd be looking at uh, on the high end eighteen to twenty dollars Canadian to get these bottles into the market here. So, I mean, compared to Franciacorta, which is the heartbreaking thing that a bottle of wine that costs 18 euros, once it comes here, becomes 50 or 60
1: dollars, makes it a little bit of a tougher sell because then you're competing with champagne. Some, somebody told me that uh, when you look at the ex-seller price and then you try to con- convince yourself what it's going to be over here with taxes and everything, it's about four times. So if you're looking at a wine that is, that is 5 euros, that's going to be 20 euros. So, you know what, I mean 20 dollars. So it's, it's, you know, and if you get into anything above five dollars or five euros, you know, it, it does get yeah. cost prohibitive at some point. Yeah. Uh, unless it's, you know, something that people really, really want.
0: All right. So I'm not going to be unfair and make you pick one, but kind of give me give me the highlight in broad terms. What was the highlight of your trip?
1: Well, I'll tell you some highlights, actually. So on day two, we went to uh, a place called Quinta do Gradil. Well, my accent is going to be sucky at this whole thing. Because I can't even already... make
0: fun of you for this because I don't know a Portuguese accent.
1: So uh, we had um, this Mula Velhas, which is Old Mule. And you know what? That was a spectacularly good wine that was cheap and cheerful and, you know, Terriga Nacional-based. And I really I really loved loved that wine. The one thing that I started seeing... As we went through Portugal and through the Lisbon area, was a lot of Syrah, Cabernet Sauvignon, Chardonnay, and it was really weird to see that, and they're pouring this for us. And I, I finally had to, I guess confront is the wrong word, but I finally had to, you know, put my hand up and say, Look, why are you showing me Syrah and Cab? And they're like, well, because that's that's what's becoming popular now. And um, and I'm like, well, well, why is that? So I got two stories, and, and maybe you'll understand this. Okay. And I, I got the second one more than the first one. But first of all, Portugal owns 94% of their market. Think of that. Yeah. We're here in Ontario. We're maybe Ontario owns 30% of their market and, you know, half of that is cellared in Canada. So it's okay. not even, you know, BQA 100% Ontario. Yep. Portugal owns 94% of their market. When, they're, when their populace goes out, they're buying Portuguese wine. That's what they're doing.
0: But you have a similar statistic across most European Correct. countries, wine-producing okay. nations.
1: So anything that is... Um, you know, an an import ha, is fighting for six percent of the market. Mm-hmm. Okay, whereas here, you know, we got California; they're 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 the biggest owner of our of our market. Uh, and Italy, France; these guys own you know a sizable chunk uh, of the Ontario market. Yep. So so, um, what the Portuguese don't see is a lot of Syrah and Cabso from, say, California, from Chile, from everything. So if they're going to be exposed to these international grapes, that's the only way they are, is if their own wineries start making it. But you got to also understand that the Portugal has 250 indigenous grape varieties. Yes. Which is so super cool. Only
0: 250?
1: You know what? I heard 200, I heard 250. Um, you know, there's a grape like Aragonese which is also Tinta floriz. which in Spain, when you cross the border, is Tempranillo. Okay, so there's two names for the same grape in, in Portugal and one grape Well, it's in the same Spain.
0: thing with, with Alvarinho and Alvarinho, but I mean, I'm mean, i sure you could probably get a, a, a Portuguese winemaker and Spanish winemaker into a room and we could have them cage-match it out as to where the grape comes from. I mean, I I get your point. And there are a lot of really great uh, indigenous varieties, which is the other interesting thing about Vino Verde, was I saw a little bit of Franc, I saw a little bit of of Cabernet Sauvignon, a little bit of Merlot, and Vignau. But I mean, the the really interesting thing about that region were the indigenous white grapes that the producers of Vino Verde are very proud to be producing. As opposed to planting Chardonnay or Riesling, which
1: I'm sure would probably do very well in those climates. Oh, they would. So that was, the, that was one story the only way that, that, that the Portuguese are going to get exposed to Saran capso blah 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 is you know if the Portuguese winemakers make them So the other shoe that dropped one day one day when I asked the same question to a different winemaker I like to get different points of view yep because he said, look, not everybody knows Castelau, Torga Nacional. Um, all these other great varieties that they have that are really, as you said, very interesting. And uh, Tintin, Toriga Franca, uh, Tintoriz, you know, all these great varieties.
0: you sound like Kenan Thompson when he does the impression of, uh, what's his face? Big Pappy, Boston Red Sox on
1: SNL when he's reading uh, off his food. So so he said, look, we're trying to get uh, export markets to to embrace our grapes. So they may not know Nacional, they may not know Franca, but they know Syrah. So if we throw that into the blend, then people are reading the back label and they go, Oh, Syrah, I know Syrah. Uh, let me try that one because I like it. Or I like Cabernet Sauvignon. I like that. I don't know these other two grapes, but let me see if I'm gonna like the blend. So it's a double edged sword for them, as far as I could as far as I could figure out. And, Which and,
0: and, and I get that too, because I mean the way I've described, like, the best wineries is, like, a really well-run winery is that intersection where business and, and artistry cross. It's true. You, you need to make great wine, but you need to know how to sell great wine, too.
1: Yeah. You've got to figure out how to get the, the populace to buy your wine, and especially if you're exporting, how they can, you know, understand your wine. Yes. I think I think Portugal has that. With 250-plus indigenous grape varieties... You've got to get the world interested in yours, and if it's by throwing Cabernet Franc or Cabernet Sauvignon in, then that's the way you do it.
0: Yeah, I guess. I I, guess. I, I I do think it's a matter of time before Portugal's time
1: does come. I've been saying that for a decade because their wines, as you said, are dirt cheap when they get here, and, and I've got some examples. But let me tell you first of all something that you're gonna that's gonna blow your mind. Uh, one of the wineries I we went to was Quinta du Rol, and yeah, they had. Uh, uh, I never get this name right. Fernal Pirsch, Pierce, which is a white grape variety. Did, okay. you, did you see that one when you were in Vino I did Cary? not. I, I did get. not. So they have that one. Um, and the winemaker at Quinto de Rol also made a, a standalone Merlot. He was like a virtual winery in Portugal. If okay. you can imagine those still exist. But this guy, what he was making was sparkling wine. And they grew Chardonnay and they grew Pinot Noir. And he made 100% uh, Rosé Pinot Noir. And he made 100% Blanc de Blanc. Seven years on lease. This stuff was phenomenal.
0: And I think you said it was, what, 15 euros? 15 euros. So it's like 25 bucks Canadian. Yeah. And that's the retail price. That's, that's not the exceller uh, price.
1: Yeah. So I was just uh, astronomically fantastic wine uh, that just blew me away. Seven years on lease. Still really, really fresh. Still really... And, you know, I've always told you when you go... Uh, to yes. a wine region yep, yep. or buy any wine, uh, make sure you love it, you know, 150,
0: 200%. L- listen, I, I actually just want to take a pause to um, focus on what you just said before it's a throwaway comment because it's really true and it's advice that has held very well with me while I travel. Because when you're in a region, whether it's a, as a tourist or as a journalist, you have this winemaker or this, this retail person in front of you pouring the wine in front of you. You know, And it's hard not to fall in love with every single winery a little bit while you're there. But it's just, to have that little voice in the back of your head that's just saying like, is this really as good as you think it is? Yeah. I think it's a really important thing to have with you when you go on these, on these trips. And I mean, it's just one of these things too, where when you bring bottles back, um, you do need to pay duty on anything over. And the biggest heartbreak... In the wine world, to me, is when I open a bottle of wine and I feel ripped off. And there's nothing worse than bringing a bottle of wine back from you on a trip, whether it's to Prince Edward County or Portugal, taking it home, opening it up, and being like, "I
1: thought this was a good wine." Well, I think I think it's even worse because if you think about it, you go to Prince Edward County, you can bring back ten cases of wine if you want. Yeah. You're just driving it across the province. You Portugal or Italy or anywhere else, you have to, you know, you have to really narrow everything down to. You know, two, three, maybe four bottles, and this, and when you, you open it up and you go, "Oh, this was horrible!" That you've just wasted one of your, you know, duty-free bottles. Yeah, on on that, and it, uh, and you think, "Wow, maybe I really did like something else yeah. better." Yeah, yeah. So, um, first of all, a uh, total non sequitur here. Yes, one of my favorite town name was Obidosh Just sounds a lot fun. Obidosh? It was, Obidosh. Okay. It was lots of fun to say. Uh, we all had a good time saying it. Um, So uh, we did go to a place called Casa Santo Limos. Okay. And Casa Santo Limo is, um, they bring a lot of wine into Ontario. Uh, One of the wines I would recommend that anybody get is Bon Ventos, uh, which I thought was Bonventos. Bon
0: Ventos, does that translate to good wine?
1: Good wind. Good wind. Good wind. Yeah. So yeah, it'll give you. Good I don't wind think. I don't think
0: that's an accident. Bon Ventos is very close to Bon Vino.
1: Oh, well, probably, but Bon Ventos. It actually. I mean, you, works. Have, you have
0: you have enough glasses of the Bon Ventos, you're going to just start calling it Bon Vino. Well,
1: good wind is what it actually, and uh, it's uh, it's here for twelve bucks. So an excellent thing. There is also Confidencial Reserva. There was one wine called. OMG, which is actually "Oh my God," that's what they're telling you. Nice. These are all wines that are going to or are are in Ontario. There's, um, uh, there's uh, Passion. There's Lab, which is a picture of a Labrador Retriever right on the label. Go to Michael Review
0: because I know he's rapid firing these names. Yeah, I'm certain that some of these will be on there, especially the wines available in North America. So there you go, Michael. I yeah. just gave you homework.
1: Col- Colossal uh, Reserva. It was just there was so much good stuff. Sorry, what was the second last one you said? Colossal. That's what she said. Continue. Oh my God, we're back on that. All right, and then, uh, so you asked for another highlight, and the last highlight, well, you know what? Okay, all right, all right. Um, There was a winery we went to called Man's Wine.
0: (laughs) I don't know why I'm giggling about that.
1: (laughs) M A N Z W I N E. And uh, he makes the only, uh, I want, I, my God, I can't remember, uh, Pembal or something like that. Okay. It is the only, they they resurrected this grape, uh, and um, they're the only winery in the world that makes it. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting. It's a white wine, uh, and it's, will you stop dropping your nuts <laughs> all over the ground? Um, so it, it's, uh, yeah, Pembal, I think is what it is. It's a very interesting wine to try. It uh, didn't make my, my top ten list, but it was definitely an interesting wine. Uh, because you're never going to try it anywhere else. So, uh,
0: A quick tasting note. In, in 50 words or less, what does this wine taste like?
1: It has, well, they, what they end up doing is they put it in uh, oak. Um, so unfortunately, they kind of mask what the grape should be. But it has some lanolin notes and some waxy notes. Uh, I th- but I think they do max- mask the fruit a little bit. Um, but it is but it is interesting. Uh, it's it's hard to describe because it That's is... 50. There was a little tropical in there, too. Okay, so... Um, and then my final recommendation is Camara Municipal de Oresh.
0: Would someone Portuguese please comment on this podcast about whether or not Michael said that even remotely close to correctly.
1: What uh, what these guys do is, um, and if, if you've tried port, obviously, yeah, you were at Ramos in. Um, I cannot Portugal. stop
0: talking about Ramos. I've had a few friends go to Porto, and um, I think there's a perception of of port as being really sickly sweet and headache inducing. Um, Ramos created some of the finest wines I've ever tasted.
1: So, this winery is in the region, or the DOC, of Carco Veloz. Oh boy, am I going to probably get it from them. Who cares? You may get a job at the CBC. Your pronunciation seemed pretty spot on to me. Carco Veloz is the duck and what these guys are making are indigenous grape varieties, uh, except, uh, yeah, uh, Arinto, Galago, Durado, and Rattino. Are the three grape varieties that they are using, and they are making white, basically white port. Cool. So, um, not some white port in port. Correct. So, the, but the Duro uses different grape varieties. These are are two of these grape varieties, except for the Arinto, is uh, is uh, the Galago, uh, Durado, and the Ratino are literally the the only places they're grown is there in Calcavelish, and they are making literally. Uh, port style, so um, more on the tawny style. So they had one that was a 7-year-old mm-hmm. uh, in, in barrel. They had a 15-year-old, and they also had a Coeta 2004. Outstanding wines that, that you're never going to try anywhere else. And it's not white port. It's Think of it as white tawny port. Not white okay. port. Okay, we've talked about the wines,
0: and, and as I said, and I'm going to plug your site again, because um... I mean, it is a problem with, with, with foreign wineries in general, and it's a problem I have with Italian wineries in particular, is when you have the name of the foreign winery on, on the bottle, it can be a little obtuse. And I would not want any foreign winery to change the name no. uh, of their winery or their or their labels to, to suit us. It's just going to take a bit to uh, get used to seeing other wineries on the shelf. Uh, but go to com. You can make a list, um, and and trust me, you won't be disappointed... Uh, value for dollar is just outstanding on Portuguese wines. But um, one highlight of the trip, we can talk about actually going to Portugal, and I, I do hope that I get a chance to go back there again in the hint, near hint. future. Yeah, hint hint to to anyone listening from Portugal. Uh, but just the outstanding food, and I remember for myself the biggest shock that I had because when you're in Toronto, you go to Little Portugal. Really lucky to mm. have that. Uh, all the Portuguese restaurants in, in Toronto, I'm sure not all of them, but I mean a lot of them are chicken places. And when you're in Portugal, I didn't see chicken anywhere. It was all seafood while yeah, I was there.
1: lots of seafood. And good seafood.
0: Um, did you get a chance to have Persebs while you were there? What are they? They're the little black barnacles. They kind of look like little black penises. And you rip the head off, and you pinch them at the bottom, and you get the gooey inside out. And it kind of tastes like the cross between calamari and oysters. And I know you're just... You can't even contain it, but it, it was it was one of the best things that I tasted while to I was there. Squeeze
1: a penis and eat what's inside. You go right ahead. Uh, but okay, so you didn't get a chance to eat that. No, that's not okay. Did you have uh, the de- the tempura fried green beans?
0: I did not have that, but I had uh, battered sardines, which were oh, unbelievable. Like, yeah. yeah, so fresh and just like I, I mean, I'm not a fan of, of fish that's like fishy tasting or, or smelling. Like I'm just kind of coming around on anchovies now. But, like, the sardines, just fresh, like, right out of the ocean. Are you an
1: octopus person at all? Oh, yeah. When it's cooked properly? Did you try it when you were there? Oh, yeah. Oh, the octopus was amazing. Scallops. And and, what was it? Bacalao? Bacalao. Bacalao. Cod,
0: cod, whether it's fresh or salted. It's just, if you go to Portugal, and you're coming from Toronto, and you think Portuguese food is chicken, forget everything that you you think you know about Portuguese cuisine, and go straight to the seafood.
1: Although, I was... Uh, on the last night, I was so tired of of, of seafood. We went to this uh, this little place, and I swear to God, somebody said to us um, that Portuguese uh, make big portions. And uh, I don't know if you noticed that, but I don't know how many like actual restaurants you went to. As media, sometimes we get to go to places and they make you know for a bunch of people, so they make these small small plates. We actually went to a restaurant and we just just like it was a local restaurant and I ordered I I don't know what possessed me to do this but I just said you know what I'm going to have a lasagna in While Portugal I'm, in Portugal because I'm da- now I'm tired of seafood everybody's good work michael and so I get a lasagna I swear to god Andre the thing was a foot long and a half a foot wide it's a mammoth actually tray you, you of... know what
0: um I I had a lasagna and it was really good I had a lasagna type dish that was made with cod with with Bacalao I and mean, the portions were quite large. I think that was the only meal that I had a hard time finishing because it, it was it was very good. But the portions in Portugal are quite large, but and it's, it's a lot less bread and starches, correct? Yeah. and a lot more. It's a lot more protein. Yeah, like if if, if you're a vegetarian in in Portugal, you might be in, in trouble. I didn't have many vegetarians in, in my group, and I'm sure there's great vegetarian cuisine. In I, Portugal. I did. Ha-
1: I did have a vegetarian. I got. Okay. A, I got. A, I got to do a big shout out to the Wine Diva. Okay. Uh, I got to do a big shout out to uh, the Hired Belly. Okay. And uh, to Tree Ring. Okay. Those are the people I'll shout so, out to. So how, check so how, out. how would be, the
0: Wine Diva? How, how did, did it look like she was well fed while being a vegetarian?
1: Yeah, she found you know. It, as she always says, uh, you know, there's always risotto, but there was some salad, there was there was all kinds of different she on uh, that last night she also had a pasta and it was just like a pasta with olive oil and veggies. And by the way, I've always told you when you're in Italy, pick up the olive oil, Portugal, same yeah. thing. Get the olive oil. I, oh and, my god. And, and, that's and Portuguese
0: Portuguese olive oil just has a little bit of a different bitterness to it that you don't A Little get bitterness in, in, but a little bit fruity. You know, yeah.
1: it's it's kind of a it's kind of a the dichotomy it's a, of taste. Oh it's
0: Azit? I can't remember how you say olive oil in Portugal. Oh,
1: uh, A-Z-I-E-T... Yeah, I've seen that, yeah. Anyways, I, I think...
0: This is the long as we've talked uh, in a long time, so I think uh, a little bit of our heart belongs to Portugal because as much as we love wine and as much as we love food, we don't like spending a lot on, on food. And if you're planning your next wine excursion, I can't uh, can't can't say enough how great it would be to visit Portugal. Again.
1: It was, you know, fantastic. Where I've been... Uh, I've been to Vino Verde, I've been to the Douro, and now Lisboa. Which, round Lisbon, it was outstanding. I can't recommend it enough.
0: So, no one from Portugal actually paid us to do this. No. I want to be very clear about that. We just both had a really good time while we were there. We did.
1: Go ahead. No, I uh, no, I'll do it. I'm Michael Pingus from MichaelPingusWineReview.com. I'm Andre Prou from underwinerview.ca. And as always, wait. Please subscribe to this podcast.